Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for TSM Press Box. Opinions, analysis, and the occasional awkward silence. Here's your host, Jonas Siegel. Hey, Press Row fans. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. The only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. BetOnline even covers award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Thankfully, there's no elections right now, so you don't have to worry about that. BetOnline has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. Of course, they have a 24-hour online casino. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. Welcome back. Another episode, Believe in the Press Row. A uh, happy Sunday, the last day of February uh to everybody hope everyone's all healthy and well i have to tell you uh jealously i'm, I'm sure i'm going to get shot for saying this but I, I was just out of town for a little bit of a vacation work or workation and um my brain's all screwed up because i don't usually go away this time of year i'm usually traveling i usually go away christmas time and it's i don't know why but it's very hard for me to understand that we're about to start march because it feels like we just started january because i was away but very uh excited to have on on the first opening day of of spring training exhibition grapefruit league it is still called grapefruit league baseball i believe uh to have one of the voices of of our toronto blue jays join us back uh for the second time in the press row he is joe siddle calling in from or zooming in from the lovely windsor ontario joe how are you all is well here jonah hope you're keeping well yeah it looks like you you have the same tan i do i didn't see you in hawaii where i was but uh must be doing some some winter gardening there in uh, Essex. It is Essex County, is it not? It is Essex County. I like to spend a lot of time outside. My wife and I are always walking or riding bikes when we can, and maybe it's just the complexion. So um, we spoke almost a year ago. We were in the corona, I think, when we spoke. Um, how are things in Windsor? You know, I, I, I'm getting at the, being in, in Seattle – uh, it's it's not as affected directly in this city, but we get a lot of cross-border news. I'm just curious. Windsor is a massive cross-border town with Detroit being literally across the river. Um, I know at the beginning, people were saying that, you know, Windsor doctors and nurses were, were getting exceptions because they were needed to go to work. How are things there with the border being closed? The border being closed is something we have never experienced, and it is very strange. Uh, living in Windsor, my house is uh, less than a 10-minute drive to the Ambassador Bridge or to the tunnel. And as Windsorites, we do a lot of traveling throughout the course of our lifetimes, going over whether it's for a sporting event or whether it's for dinner or entertainment. And it is strange for a lot of people. I do have some friends that are nurses in the Detroit area, they have been doing the commute back and forth because they're essential workers. You know, when I got home, when the pandemic began in March, things were heated up everywhere, obviously. And uh, as things improved into the summer months, as it was improving everywhere, it was improving here. But then, of course, things got bad again in the fall and into these winter months. And now, of course, that slope is going down again so things are better but uh, as we're all afraid is for the next spike and so as we speak right now things are better but uh, i don't think anyone feels like they're out of the woods and uh, how awkward does it feel that i'm talking to you from home right now i was going to be leaving tomorrow for spring training in florida but instead i'll be staying home i just didn't feel it was going to be worth it with facing all the restrictions now coming home because of the border closing and staying in the government mandated hotel, all the restrictions that were put in, I have to quarantine for a couple of weeks before heading to Toronto to do our show opening day. 
April 1st. So sitting put for the month of March and I'll have to uh, enjoy like everyone else from home until the work begins for real when the opener comes around. How has um, the stories out West, um, Minnesota area, uh, other, other U.S. cities um, are real, and, and I believe upstate New York, are just getting hammered economically as a result of the border being closed. How are, th- how are things in Windsor proper? Because you guys, you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of businesses that rely on Americans coming over, whether it's restaurants, um, clothing stores, you know, I think Freed's of Windsor's, it was, was the big one back when I used to live in Detroit. Sure. Like how, how are, how are those folks doing um, a with Corona and then B B one, I guess, or a one as a result of Americans not being able to come across? Well, I think small businesses are suffering like they are everywhere. This is uh, Windsor is the automotive capital of Canada. So you can imagine the traffic back and forth. Trucks are still allowed. Trucks and transportation is, is essential, deemed essential. So they are all going over. In fact, if I were to go down to uh, the Detroit river right now for a walk along the riverfront, all you would really see are transport trucks going back and forth over the Ambassador Bridge. So, of course, they're trying to keep that flow going, but it's so difficult for a lot of the small businesses that just can't. They're just not. They haven't had the the, the restaurants that now we've opened up a little bit. Um, their maximum capacity, of course, and the capacity isn't much for a lot of them, so it's hard to survive. So I think it's the the same as a lot of places, and you feel. Sorry for the for those small businesses. You know, I'm one of those. I've been doing some home improvements and things, and I try to go to my local home hardware as much as possible. You try to help them <laughs> out. You try to try to help out these small businesses. Whether it's the deli, we have a great little uh, Yorktown Square. It's called in South Windsor here, where I live, and you try to support these local businesses as much as can. And we hear so many people talk like that, but it's just not the same. You, you just they're just not getting the business. They're suffering, and we can just only hope that things improve and therefore improve for them as soon as possible. We, uh, we drove from Seattle through to Detroit last June, uh, on the way up to Northern Ontario. And I've crossed either the winds, either the bridge. I'm a bridge guy. I uh, can't stand the tunnel. Um, but we actually went Port Huron. We were advised that because we're Canadian, we can come home which was fine, but we were told, you know, try to get as close as you can to where you're staying because they may give you a hard time about where you're going to quarantine for the night. So we went to Port Huron and we got there on a Saturday in June at three (laughs) o'clock. And in other years you could be and we have Nexus, um, but you could be looking at two to three hours to cross that bridge on a Saturday afternoon. We were the only car. Sure. No, no, like I'm not. No, no, I'm not. Not even exaggerating. Like we were yeah. the only car. It was like I, I've driven across that border at two, three in the morning, and and had a ten to fifteen minute wait. We were the only car. It was so creepy, and uh, it took us half an hour to get through. Like the Canadian government. Uh, did their job and we had all the paperwork we were ready we were we had every question ready to go in august we drove back now we drove to detroit so we drove from seattle to detroit through the u.s home we went through canada for the same reason because you couldn't cross we pulled into the the border going back uh, just outside vancouver to go back into the state of washington again we were the only car (laughs) 30 seconds like, where are you going? Back to Seattle. Anything to declare? No. Any liquor? No. Have a nice day. Like, that was it. <laughs> the the different uh, perspectives, right? Right. Totally different. And then along the way, we, um, we, were, we were in uh, Montana, and we stopped for lunch at a place, and we were sitting outside the restaurant waiting for our food in June, and we were all wearing masks, and a car kept circling the restaurant where we were yelling out the window at you like to haze us that they were spreading their germs on us and yet in banff we spent a night at the banff springs hotel nice and the minute we pulled out an rcmp officer pulled us over that somebody had called in that there were americans at the hotel so just totally totally (laughs) different cross-border perspectives 
Um, so you should be, I mean, I know you, you said that you were planning to be down at spring training tomorrow, but it is the kickoff of, uh, of grapefruit league baseball. They do still call it grapefruit league baseball, grapefruit and cactus. Yeah. Those two still sure. things. Um, it, it is a time of hope and rebirth for, for everyone. Right. Uh, even, even the Seattle Mariners are today still in it. Um, haven't what lost exact, the game yet, have they? What exact, no, they're undefeated. Um, <laughs> yeah, at one point last year, because they were so late in starting, it was the best record they had that late in the season in like 30 years or something. Um, it is hard to think. The last time I personally remember a spring training being this optimistic and exciting as a Blue Jay fan, they had uh, acquired Fred McGriff, and uh sorry robbie alomar and joe carter right like Mm -hmm. it's uh the buzz is there you you covered the team last year how real was the was the team last year do you think you know weird season uh, extended playoffs um how real was the hype last year were they really a, a playoff team in your mind i mean or is it just really just another building block with this massive excitement given the amount of cash they spent and what they acquired this offseason? Well, I think even last year was a building block. I don't think it was real going by a 60-game season, and I think if it was a 162-game season, I was planning on seeing a team that was going to battle to be 500. So I did not see them being a playoff team. It worked in their favor with the shortened season and good for them because a lot of those players got some experience. Now it was only a couple of quick playoff games, but still that's experience that can help moving forward, especially for such a young core. And last season, I think going into it, the goal was with this rebuild now starting to think about winning. We heard Shapiro talk about that where you rebuild, you rebuild. They got rid of the old guys and the old contracts. They're starting to build a new, And going into 2020, we heard him say that, and I thought it made a lot of sense. How, what is your goal going in out? Now we start thinking about wins. Before it was about shaping this thing the way it is, the way that you wanted it to go, but wins were going to determine their success in 2020. So shortened season, you can say it was success. But I think this year, yes, lots of optimism again, especially when you sign a guy like George Springer and you bring on Simeon. And, you know, after, that was after Ryu last year. So you can see the, the, the buildup here. And that's a great thing for Blue Jays fans. But I'm still cautiously optimistic that they will compete, of course. But I still see a lot of holes in a team if you want to think about making a deep postseason run. And I look no further than the starting rotation. It's great to bring in a center fielder because we heard Ross Atkins talk many times when the offseason began. He used the term run prevention. How do you prevent runs? Well, you pitch better. And what can help you pitch better is better defense. And the defense was not good last year. So they did that. When you put George Springer in center now, I think you've gotten better in center field. And then now if Randall Gritchick becomes my, let's say, mostly everyday right fielder, you're much better in right field because he's more comfortable there. I think that's where he is better. So you get better in center, you get better in right. And then maybe Teoscar DH is a lot more because that's where I think he's better served because of his defense and what we've seen. And again, he talked about internal optimism. We heard Charlie Montoyo talking yesterday. He was asked about Teoscar and said, yeah, he's working really hard and he's, he's really looking good in the outfield. Well, what else are you going to hear at this time of year? Right. <laughs> we've heard that for, I heard that last spring and maybe this spring before, but I've seen enough of Teoscar now and you never want to say somebody can't improve, but I think I know what Teoscar is in the outfield and he can make some good plays because he does have great speed, but we're going to see a lot of those misplays. So I think they're much stronger in the outfield, and that's big. But a lot of other areas. Uh, Kevin Biggio right now, it sounds like, is going to be the main third baseman. And it was just a bit of a, a quick appearance there last year. And I, I don't think I saw what looks to me is going to be an everyday third baseman. We'll see. I hope I'm wrong. Hopefully he goes over there and he's a great third baseman. But it kind of feels like it's being pieced together a little bit. Simeon came on board. He wasn't going to displace Bo stays in the middle of the infield, so moves Kevin over. And I still think Kevin's value is going to be that guy to place everywhere, and he probably will. But I was hoping for a lot of things. I was hoping for maybe some stability at third base. But, I mean, you can only go out and sign so many free agents or make so many trades. And the starting rotation for me, after Ryu, a shortened season last year, how many innings can Pearson give you? 
And we don't even know what Nate Pearson is yet. We think he's going to be great, but we'll see. And then like right now, I think Robbie Ray would be your number three starter. And a lot of people are really excited about that. It's hard for me to get too excited about Robbie Ray right now. I mean, too many statter shots all over the zone last year for me to feel that there's any consistency there. And then after him, you get Mats, Stripling, Tanner Roark. I mean, the names and then some of the guys that we saw last year who were probably supposed to be starters in AAA, the Anthony Kays and the, and the Thomas Hatches and, and those kinds of Merriweather. We may see more of that, but there will be a minor league season this year. So will they be starters in AAA as depth in case they're needed? Because you know they're going to need a lot of starters this year especially playing 162 after only 60 last year. So when you use the word optimism, I'm very cautious because I think a lot of people in Blue Jays camp were hearing and seeing lots of that optimism, but I still think there are a lot of things to address and don't even get me going on behind the plate. I, I just don't know that Danny Jans is going to be an everyday catcher, yet he's been handed the reins. And if you're going to be somewhat inexperienced and, and maybe some concerns on the mound, that's to me when you need some experience behind the plate. And I'm not sure they have it. I just thought Danny looked overwhelmed at times last year when it was came to handling a pitching staff and calling a game. Hey, Press Row fans, March Madness is just around the corner, which means all eyes are going to be focused on the hardwood, especially as we get ready for NBA playoffs as well, which means sneakers are going to be the rage. Everyone's going to want them. Why not head to our latest sponsor, eBay, to get your latest sneaker fix? They have an authenticity guarantee that allows you to buy these sneakers on a marketplace that you can trust. Each sneaker receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. It protects sellers with a verified return process as well. If you're a seller, eBay has eliminated all selling fees on sneakers that are over 100 bucks, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com sneakers today eBay is the world's best destination for discovering great value, unique selection. Go buy or sell your sneakers today. So it's interesting to hear you say that because the off season was one of the most peculiar sports media events, occurrences that, that I can remember. Um, we, we talked offline a couple of times about the, the Blue Jays are in on everyone. And one of my most retweeted, commented tweets of the summer was when a hockey player, I don't remember who, bolted his team demanding a trade. And I tweeted that the Blue Jays were apparently in on him. Uh, <laughs> because at that point, they were in on everybody. It's hard. I, I'm not naive and I'm not stupid, I don't think to say that the off season wasn't successful when they landed what they landed, but with what was perceived as being possible and everybody who they were going after, it's interesting to, 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 to look at expectations versus results. And listen, they, they got the big fish and uh, I've, I, I was actually down in Atlanta and I was able to listen to some us. I was in Atlanta when he signed and, uh, U.S. media gushing over this guy to me is a really good sign because a lot of folks in Toronto have blue and white glasses. So that to me, we can talk about that in a second. But, uh, and I listened to Shapiro yesterday on a couple of radio shows as I was driving around here. I think expectations in Toronto for this team are through the roof as they were through the offseason. This can go, in my opinion, one of three ways. One, God help them that they, they fall out of the gate and things don't start well. Two, the opposite. They go on a tear and things are looking great. And the third is just kind of middle of the road. The reactions to those are going to be very interesting depending on which way it goes. I mean, I would imagine in the unlikely event they fall out of the gate, uh, I would suspect that would put immense pressure on the manager. Um, and then if things go swimmingly. Will that, do you think, so these are the two part of the first question is, would that happen? The second question is, should that happen that they go on a tear? 
do you think that opens up the purse strings to go get some of the pieces that you just talked about? Is that what they need? I think most definitely. And I do think that would happen because they have now positioned themselves. You don't go out and sign for you last winter for $80 million if you're not planning on being significant over the next few years. So he pitched his, his first year and now he's coming back and you've added a Springer. I could see, like, let, when you talk about expectations and how the Blue Jays were in on everyone, I think it's safe to say, and maybe I'm wrong because I probably could have said it's safe to say they're not going to land somebody as big as Springer either, but it, I felt it was safe to say they weren't going to land a Trevor Bauer if they were in on him. I don't think they were going to land a JT Real Muto if they were in on him. But if they were in on them, great. It's hard to get those free agents because they have a choice too. And it's, you know, get a, takes two to tango. So they got to want to come here. So they had other offers elsewhere. But I do think with what they've done, like you don't go out and get Ryu and you don't add Springer if you're not serious about moving forward here. So I, I do think those, I, who knows how the business is run, but I do think the purse strings will be open. Or at some point, this team is going to have to start giving up some of their prospects. We've heard about it for years. They've built a very deep, minor league system and a talent pool of prospects, but there's going to come a point where if you can't go and get the free agent by throwing dollars and years at them, you're going to have to give up some of the bigger names and whoever they are, but some of the bigger minor league prospects or even maybe big league pieces to maybe go get that number two starting pitcher, whether it's a Luis Castillo from the Reds or whoever the, it may be. So, the purse strings, will they be able? I think they will be. Hopefully it's before the trade deadline. I, I was hoping it'd be this winter because I still would have liked not Jake Odorizzi. I was still hoping for a bigger name. But if you think about it, there wasn't, there were not many big names beyond Bauer this winter as starting pitchers. So do you, do you wait now for the deadline? Well, if you do, you better hope you're in it. Because if the one scenario you presented right there, if you're not in it, you're not going to probably go out and get it. They're looking for guys that are going to have control that they can have moving forward with this group. So I think they, they will, but as you said, you have to, you have to be in the position to do that. What if they're 10 games under 500 come around the deadline? Do you still make that move? But you can only do so much free agency wise. And I get that, but that's why I, I believe and it's probably starting this year soon. It's going to have to be where you got to give up some of these, this prospect depth that you've built. Do you th it's so fascinating because you can't ignore the economics uh, of, of A, teams, and then B, the reality of the world that we're living in. Um, they are the cover story today of the Wall Street Journal sports, sports section. You know, the headline is the Toronto Blue Jays are baseball's most expensive traveling show. Um, I would imagine that you know the corona the effect of the virus on teams ability to generate revenue is going to be challenged um and they're going to start playing games they're going to start playing games without fans and teams are you know teams who didn't spend any money this offseason are going to be spinning their wheels and the cost is going to be there and the revenue is not is that when they're going to try and use their muscle to pounce and, and trade either somebody on the roster or a prospect to try and relieve another team of an expense? Uh, as you talked, you think that's part of the game plan? So, okay, we were one of the few teams that could spend money in the offseason. Now we're going to wait till other teams are really suffering financially and entice them to take a big number off their books and, and give them something less, less uh, daunting back. That could very well be the case. And you mentioned the offseason. I mean, they were they were one of the very few teams. I mean, really, it was the Blue Jays, Bats. We heard very few teams going after big-name free agents. So that alone, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you should be thrilled of what they did this winter because they weren't one of those teams, like many others, that just said, we're in a global pandemic. We're probably not going to have fans at the ballpark. We're not going to have the revenue, so let's just hold off on things. They were the exact opposite. So – Blue Jays fans should be pretty grateful for that. Now, moving forward, sure, maybe maybe it will take less to unload some contracts if teams want to go with that. Um, it, it all depends, like with trades, if you're making an in-season trade or whether it's the deadline or not, or even if it's the off-season. I mean, it's all about what you're giving up 
and what you're getting. So if you're going to give up bigger prospects, then you don't necessarily have to take on the money. If it's a guy that's uh, sunny gray or somebody that's in that, in that realm in terms of service time, and maybe a guy that has a couple of years of, of service left before he's a free agent. So that may cost more because you get more years of control. I mean, you're always, I think it sounds like, I shouldn't say you're always, you're, it sounds like the Blue Jays of late have been more about, we've got the money. We don't want to give up the prospects. That tide could turn soon because, you know, I thought on that topic, I thought maybe after acquiring Springer, they might be able to deal, and maybe they tried to deal Randall Gritchick because he felt like the odd man out. Now, I don't think he's the odd man out because now you've got four pretty good options at, in the outfield. But people said that, well, how are you going to get rid of Gritchick? He's making too much money. Well, you eat the money, and maybe you get a good arm in return. So you, give, you go Randall Gritchick to whoever – you eat a lot of the salary and that increases the return. So now maybe it's a little better arm than it would be if you weren't eating that salary, those kinds of things I'm sure go on. And I, that's the kind of thing that I could see happening. But now, as you say, moving forward, when they're going to, if, if they're it's May and June and July and you're getting deep here, I just still feel that at some point, some of these prospects have to go, whether it's Groshans, whether, whoever it might be, They've got lots of catchers now. We've heard that. Uh, five of them, I think, in camp on the 40-man roster. So I can see all those things happening. And, and it's one thing to spend money. That's what we know they can do. Still surprised that they did it this winter. But the way they went about it, great. But now it can be that combo because trade is always another avenue as well. And teams are going to be hurting. Yeah. Financially, teams are going to be hurting. Especially some of the teams that don't want to spend money. Or that can Which is a lot. <laughs> So how much pressure is the manager under any I think managers always under pressure. What do they say? You get hired to be fired. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I think in the, the scenarios you presented earlier too, uh, if this goes well for Charlie Montoya and the blue Jays, they, they take off and have a nice season where they're over 500 most of the way. And yeah, if it goes sideways, which you, you, you I don't expect it to, but at the same time, as I said, when I, when I talk about that starting rotation, that's my biggest concern because if your starters aren't giving you any kind of length or durability or stability or good results, you're going to that bullpen a lot. And this is just a very different season, not just for the Blue Jays. This is going to be league-wide. But you've got a lot of innings to account for this year in a 162-game schedule when teams only played 60 games last year. So even a Ryu, I mean, he's not the healthiest of guys. What, 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 um, what's he going to be able to give you? He's not necessarily a guy that goes real deep into games a lot either. And that's your top of your rotation let alone when you get to Pearson, the unknowns with him, or Ray, or Mats, or Stripling, or Roark, these names, Thomas Hatch. So that's the kind of stuff that could get you in trouble in a hurry. And, you know, the Blue Jays bullpen was very good last year, and people were getting all excited about it. It was great. But then what did you see as that 60-game season continued to progress? You kept seeing maybe A.J. Cole being more of A.J. Cole. And you started to see those things trend back well. In a 162-game season, that's what happens. You, you can't get hot for 30 games, and that's half your season, so you're going to do well. Now you're going to have to be a little more consistent and hot for longer, and the way you do that is by having lots of talent. And do they have that? Yeah, they put together a bullpen here that has some good elements, <laughs> but if you're calling on those guys too much because the starters are going three and a third, four innings, that's got trouble written all over. I think this game, honestly, Joan, I think this game is going to trend back a little bit. Uh, we won't even get into the analytics of it, but the whole third time through the batting or separate starters. But I just feel that when you look back at these winning teams, it seems to be a lot to do with starting pitching. We saw Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin, these guys come out of the bullpen. We saw Evaldi do it and Sale and Price with the Red Sox. Who was the hero for me in the Dodgers winning a World Series was Julio Urias. You know, and they've got, there's an exception because that's a team that just had so many good arms. But that's why, to me, that bullpen, and say what you want about the Rays, they competed, they were great, they got to the World Series, they were outs away from being there, but that bullpen was spent. And I don't know how long you can keep doing that. So at some point, you're going to have to, hey, if, if the Blue Jays got that far, that'd be wonderful. But I think this game's going to trend back to where you put a lot more stock. And that's why starting pitchers, good starting pitchers, cost so much money. It's hard to find. 
so we've been talking for 25 to 30 minutes so you get an award because we've talked about baseball we've talked about blue jays we've talked about the upcoming season you've mentioned a lot of players but you haven't mentioned the one player that everyone wants to talk about and that's the big man over at first base the little man Uh, the little man (laughs) how important is the Springer persona on a player like Vladdy. Everything that I've heard is that, hey, the guy's super talented. Like, I'm talking about Springer. He is, brings, he's got all the tools, but he, his attitude, his give a shit, his persona is really unique. And that, like, I was listening to these guys from Houston talk about him saying, like, the guy just doesn't have a bad day. Like, he's always smiling and he genuinely loves playing baseball. And I wonder how how important that is on a player like Vladimir Guerrero, who's, let's call it what it is, he's struggled. He has not had the impact or the career that anyone, I would imagine himself included, aspired to when they thought he was finally going to make it to the majors. Well, I think Springer is exactly what you just said, because I'm sure the Blue Jays did a lot of homework on him, too. And you don't give him the contract or commit the years and money to him unless he is that person, too. And that's that's big. I think anytime you bring in a veteran, I felt like this over the last few years, you know, if the Blue Jays would have brought in even like bringing back an Edwin Encarnacion or some of these veteran, whether it's a Nelson Cruz or these types of guys for that reason, the whole mentoring thing, because. You think of these young hitters in this core in a those conversations and that development happens all over the place. It happens in the game. It happens talking in the dugout. If it's Bo Bichette talking to Springer, we're going to see you know, our cameras on Sportsnet catch these things all the time. And I love them because they're important because there are things that fans don't see and don't necessarily understand unless you've been in that uniform and in that dugout. So if you see Bo Bichette talking to Springer during a game, there's a good chance it's about one of their previous at-bats. It's a good chance that it's about how that pitcher attacked him right there. They happen in the dugout between innings, between at-bats. They happen in the clubhouse. They happen in the cage. They happen everywhere. They happen when you're stretching in the morning. Like, so that's where a Springer, I think, can help a lot of these guys. Certainly hope it helps a Vladdy, but I think for Vladdy in watching what's happened so far, now you remember how much he was pumped up coming up. Well, it's because he was an all world minor leaguer, right? He was just destroyed the minor leagues. And when you see that, I think the expectations were so high. And you know, at, at some point I, I feel bad for the kid because he's human and he was a kid. He's still a kid. Do I think he is going to be better? I do. I'm going to sit here right now, Jonah, and say we're going to say a lot of good things, I think, about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I may be wrong, but I really see it. The reason I say I, I see it is because I saw that swing as he was coming up through the minor leagues, and I don't care who you're facing. I saw the body in the swing, and he does things other people can't. And when I say that, I look back to – you remember a few years back, and I think it was 18 – when the Blue Jays played those exhibition games in Montreal, he had a walk-off home run. And we had a thing going on on Twitter with one of our producers, Chris Black on Sportsnet, and he did the the, uh, comparison when Vladdy was struggling in recent years. And they showed his swing then and that walk-off home run and then his swing at whatever point it was during his struggles in the big leagues. And it's totally different. So first thing that was different was his body. So his body was different. So does your body matter? Does your weight matter? I say, yes, it does. And I'm not saying just because he lost weight, he's going to be a better hitter now. But I do believe the body that he came back after summer camp last year, like rumors are he was around 280. I just don't think you can get that body into the same athletic position that he did in the past when he was hitting so well. And when I say that same athletic position, it's getting that hip coiled. I can get technical here. Getting into that position with your hands where you can fire the hips all of those technical things that you physically can't get to that spot if you have this weight in your way. And some people will say, well, a lot of guys have done it. Prince Fielder did it. Well, I would say Prince Fielder was a unicorn. I mean, that was unique. And he must have been an immensely strong man to get that body into the positions he did. So what I would say about Vladdy is I do believe this guy is going to be an all-star because of his bat. 
I really believe it's there and he'll find it and he'll get it regardless because he lost the weight. I say, it doesn't mean it's going to translate because I felt his, not only was his, his body different, therefore he didn't get to those positions in the batter's box to launch the way he did before, but he didn't make the same moves could have been body related. There are so many things that go through right between the ears when you're in that batter's box and if you've got that many things going on, I've talked to Vladi on occasion about how he likes to sit spin. He likes to sit breaking balls. Well, you can do that and then you can get beat on fastball or you can look fastball. If you look fastball, you can look awful chasing breaking balls. So he is a guess hitter. He likes to sit on pitches. But to me, he got to a point when you were watching him, he was guessing, but he didn't know what he was guessing. Like that's how bad it got. And that's how it can get in the batter's box. So long story short for Vladdy, I, the, I like to see the body the way it is. That's great. But he needs to somehow get back to who he was a couple of years ago. And when I say that, I mean the body position where that stride got out there, but he was able to stay behind the baseball because he got coiled so well. He, he can do things. I remember doing a couple of breakdowns on our show, and he can do things even when he's not making those moves great. He can still hit home runs. It's ridiculous. I've seen some of his swings and highlights, and I'll say he didn't even really get to where he should have gotten there. There's so much more in the tank, and he hit a ball over the green monster at Fenway Park. So that's where I see he can still do things amazingly when he's not even at his best. So if he can get back to being his best and getting his body into the positions I was referring to, I think the sky's the limit for this guy. So I heard Shapiro, I told you, I heard Shapiro interviewed a couple times this week. He was asked specific questions about his, about Vladimir's weight loss. He avoided it like the plague. <laughs> Didn't go anywhere near the conversation. Um, the weight loss to me, I hate to say it, isn't that impressive because from November till today, I, I personally lost 45 pounds. So Good for you. Can you DH? It, <laughs> no. So the, that's exactly my point. Um my question for you is more along the lines of will the benefit, could the benefit come by virtue of the fact that it'll make him a better and more effective fielder and by therefore being more involved in the regular play, that'll help him at the bat because he's not sitting on the bench as a DH and not, I, I just got to imagine that's a very difficult thing to do sit and watch nine tenths of the game, the exception of the time you actually come up to bat. Yeah, most guys will tell you that DHing is very difficult. And I would think it is. Yeah, unless you're, you know, back in our day, the Harold Baines and the guys that actually DH all the time. You do it regularly, then you know your routines. Uh, interesting you say that. I heard Randall Gritchick on a Zoom call recently, and he talked about that because with the Blue Jays crowded outfield, they might revolve around that DH button. And he said, yeah, it's hard. He did it a little bit, but you've got it's hard to sit for maybe an hour between at bats, it's uh, you got to go for a jog. You got to go get some swings in the cage and it takes time to learn how to do that. And that's why I'm a little tentative when I hear, cause we've heard that a lot from the blue Jays and they've talked about all this positional flexibility and Vladdy's in this conversation where you revolve that DH spot. Well, the DH Vladdy one day and Gritchick DH is one day and Guriel DH is one day. That's hard to figure out what your routine is. It, it, it's not easy. Um, I don't know that, you know, the, the weight loss you referred to with Vladdy, can it make him a better fielder? Well, sure. I think it can make you a better fielder because you should be more agile. But it sounds to me like he is going to kind of be the first baseman. That third base is, it's going to be an option at times, Charlie Montoya referred to recently, but he is the first baseman. That part of it, at least I'd like, because I thought they were almost pulling his chain last year. I mean, he was a third baseman. He came back all overweight. It's almost like they got mad at him and said, go to first. I don't blame him for doing that, but at the same time, that's pretty unfair to the kid. So, and Hey, I'd be the first one to say on our show, I was criticizing him a lot for his first base play, but I was doing it because he was in a position where first baseman's first base is easier than third base, but it's not easy. It's not easy. There is a lot of footwork and stuff going around that first base bag. And we saw a lot of it. He, he did probably everything you can do wrong around first base. He probably did it at some point last year. So, can his weight help him at first? Sure. But he struggled at third. I don't know that he's – I mean, he doesn't have to be a gold glove first baseman. He, he has to be just 
I would say better than average, but I got, I think better than average because you need to pick those balls out of the dirt. You need to have good footwork around the bag to make those plays. I think it's still a lot to ask and it might take time. So if we're talking about these misplays around first again this year, that's not going to be a good thing. And I have a feeling we're going to, he's not just going to turn into a good first baseman all of a sudden because of 40 days in spring training. That was kind of my point is that does, does having him lose the weight make him a better student? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the offseason he was learning the trade. Now, you can't learn at the major league level without playing games. I get it. But I would think being lighter, stronger makes him a better fielder. I, I would imagine that the thinking would be if you can cut down on those errors, there's going to be less things going on between the ears when you get up to the bat and you'll actually feel better about yourself. Well, no question. If he plays better defense, it'll be better for him offensively. But to play better defense, I mean, losing weight and being more agile is one thing, but there's still so much involved with your feet and your hands that I don't think just losing weight is going to make him a better first baseman. He is going to need rep after rep after rep. And unfortunately, those reps in the morning in Florida They'll, they'll help, of course, but what's going to help more than anything is playing games. There are so many things. You know, I had met Felipe Alou was my manager when I came up to the big leagues in Montreal, and I had him in the minor leagues. And as experienced as he was in the game, I'll never forget when he said that he said, you know, as long as I've been in the game, I still see things I haven't seen before. Well, that's what's going to happen to Vladdy. And we saw him go for a pop-up in foul territory. And I mean, if there was all the things that I was thinking that could go wrong around first base for Vladdy last year when they moved him there, I didn't think about a routine pop-up over by the dugout, but we saw it more than once and he struggled with it. What about the pop-up between the first baseman and catcher and that communication? It shouldn't be any different than when he played third base, but we saw him collide with his catcher a couple of times. So, I mean, things I didn't even think about, let alone holding runners on and back picks and turning a double play or being the relay guy and a throw from the right center gap, all those different things. So you have to play games. The only way you get experience with that is playing games. Well, it's going to take more than playing a, a week of games in spring training or three or four weeks of games in spring training to keep getting better at that. So I, I just, bottom line, you can tell how I feel. There are a lot of question marks around that first base bag if he's there a lot. He came to spring training last year. The story was, holy crap, he lost a ton of weight. He's in the best shape ever. <laughs> Corona comes. And, you know, that, that, that old uh, scene from the movie Airplane and Leon is getting larger uh, <laughs> happens. Do you think, I'm, I'm being serious with this question. Does Corona help the guy? Because they're, they're not going north. They're staying in Florida. They're playing in Dunedin. He's going to be around the team and probably less likely to hit, you know, Taco Bell, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Chick-fil-A, that he will have team meals available to him much more frequently with watchful eyes like Springer, et cetera, making sure that he's not going, for lack of a better word, off the diet reservation. Do you think those things help the guy? They can help him, but you know, the other option, let's say it was a regular season, they were heading to Toronto. He'd be staying in a condo in Toronto whether it's with a roommate or whoever it is, and he'd still have to prepare his meals or go out and he'd do his own thing. Like we players still have their own personal time. I think the same thing will be true in Florida right now. Sure. You're at the ballpark and we saw the unveiling of that amazing facility this past week, but there's, they still go home. And when you go home, you're on your own or wh whoever he's with, whether he's living with roommates or whatever, but you still have your own time. And we know it's one of those crutches we all have, whether it's our exercise or nutritional habits, whatever, we, we tend to creep back to our habits. So to me, it was a great sign that he came to spring training in much better shape. But my goodness, these are bit, if there's one thing I can't stand hearing people report about spring training is how what great shape this guy came in. And I'm not even Vladdy, but just anybody. No, no, no I know. Well, yeah, think making millions of dollars a year and being a professional athlete, that's what you do for four months. So those, those things, I mean, to me, it, it's not the fault of the manager, whoever's, it's just because there's not a heck of a lot going on the first week of spring training. So those are the things you say. But my point is, it's going to be up to Vladi himself as an individual human being. He made that decision in the winter that he, it almost, he almost sounded remorseful about what happened last year. That's great. He's accountable. 
he was accountable to his teammates, but let's see it. I mean, we, you know, I mean, you've probably done it. People know that uh, we all have friends and family members that have gone on the quote diets. Well, you diet and lose weight. And then what usually happens, they put it back on and then you diet, lose weight. So for Vladdy, this might be an issue. So he needs to get a stranglehold on that and be able to control that because he is who he is. He's a professional athlete that this does matter. How do you change that? Uh, maybe more time around him, like you said, with the club, great. But it's almost like as parents, when we send our kids to school, right? We, we don't, don't parent, you can't parent your kids all year. As teachers, you can be a great influence on the kids, but you're not with them 24 seven. Listen, I agree. And, you know, even if it's the late night walk to the fridge or the early morning walk to the fridge, if he's got the chocolate cake in the fridge, he's going to do what he's going to do. Um, my point was because they're there and having seen the facility, they could send him home full as opposed to, no, I'm being serious. Like you're laughing. You, you, you listeners can't see, but Joe's, Joe's like, I'm being serious. I mean, they've touted the fact they've touted that they've got, you know, world-class chefs and meals and, there's no question that if if there's a, it's more likely that they he could, they could send them home full from Dunedin than they could from Toronto. That that was kind of my point. But I'm gonna ask you a different question. Um, my understanding is that there is only one non there's only one member of the let's call it the broader Blue Jays media down in Dunedin. One, there's only one guy covering the team right now. Everyone else is either in Toronto or wherever they spend their off season. The Jays are in a unique position this year to massage, if you will, if not control kind of the message as to who's available when, who's talking to who, when, about what, et cetera. As I said, that there has been a degree of as brian burke used to call it blue and white disease you know looking at the world through blue and white colored glasses i think some some of the media reports are going to be somewhat challenging because you know optimism is very high if you're a fan and they they kick off they kick off opening pitches mere minutes away so i will let you go but what what should fans be looking for forget what you hear forget what you read when you watch the team in spring training, what are we looking for? Because that's that's the telltale sign, right? It doesn't matter what people tell us because it's going to be hard and it's going to be different because nobody's there. Um, what are we looking for? Well, I, I, I would answer that question from with my analyst hat on just because that's what I do. What am I looking for? I'm yep. looking for certain guys' mechanics. I'm looking for pitching mechanics. And But as a fan, is, uh, is Robbie Ray around the zone? You know, don't worry about what's Nate Pearson. Is he being more aggressive with this fastball? Threw an awful lot of sliders last year for a guy that's coming up as a phenom that throws a hundred. So be more aggressive with the fastball. So maybe some of those adjustments, but more than anything in the message, let's talk pitching right now. The message right away at the start of camp, Pete Walker and all the pitchers was more strikes, strike throwing. Now, I've never liked the term just throw strikes when you tell a kid that's playing just throw strikes. Well, no, some guys, we watch it on TV nightly. They just throw strikes and they end up in the seats. <laughs> you have to throw <laughs> quality strikes and you have to mix up your pitches and you have to do things well that way. So I would, I would generally from the first start to talk about pitching, look at the blue Jays strike throwing ability, not walking people, not getting deep and long counts because that's the one area that they want to improve in greatly. So First and foremost, that for pitchers. I think for hitters, we saw last year some great improvements. We heard the big story around Dante Bichette and his impact he had on the hitters. And Randall Gritchick was one. Teoscar was one. There were a lot of them that talked about, in fact, they talked about it publicly, which I found a little surprising because they're basically telling the world what their approach was at the plate. But they were became hitters that were looking more soft spin breaking balls in counts and reacting to fastballs. And we see Bo do that a lot, especially with two strikes. So let's look for this Blue Jays lineup up and down, being a little bit more disciplined, um, continuing on that trend. They've got better last year, which they needed to, and they did. And let's look for that to continue being a more disciplined 
lineup where you're not expanding the zone and chasing bad pitches as much, maybe drawing a few more walks because base runners can ultimately lead to scoring runs. They did a pretty good job of that last year, but I would look for more of that. And especially with a, with a Springer on board and a, and a Simeon who you hope that is more of the MVP third place two years ago guy than, than he was last year. So, um, and I said it earlier and I'll say it again, starting pitching, you won't see a lot of that in spring training because they don't go deep. But as this season gets going, just please remember this. Let's evaluate the starting pitching like two months into the season. Because if these guys aren't giving you, I guess these days we say five innings, uh, I'd like <laughs> to say six plus, but we've almost changed that conversation. But that can be a big problem. And again, this isn't just for the Blue Jays, it's for a lot of teams. But I just, the depth of the rotation to me is, is a concern right now as we speak during spring training. And it, it could be a concern because after Ryu, Pearson's got tremendous upside, but how much can he actually pitch this year because of the limited action he's had with and the injuries in the past? They're going to have to really protect him. And that's too bad because wouldn't it be nice if you had him for your full 162-game schedule and some postseason baseball if you get there? But I don't know how they're going to do that. They, they might get creative with you know, throwing him three innings and having like a, a Anthony Kay or somebody come in behind him for three, you know, that's called a piggyback method, or they might use openers at the back end of the rotation. So I would look at how they handle that, but more notably, how good is the starting pitching? Well, it's awesome talking to you. It's uh, I thought that, you know, I'd be remiss if we didn't say that I thought the big off season media change was going to be the absence of Mike Wilner from radio games. Uh, which is a big change. Uh, the absence of radio entirely as its own me medium will certainly be a significant change for all of us. What exactly that means and how that plays out is going to be interesting to watch or, or listen to, I guess I say that better, uh, with no disrespect to the folks who do TV. It is going to be strange. Uh, even this Wall Street Journal article talks about the fact that the Blue Jays could have three homes this year. You know, They could start in Dunedin, make it to Buffalo and with a hope of somehow, somewhere, sometime making it back up to Toronto, what that looks like, we have no idea. But underneath all of that is this massive hype and expectation that we can only hope that they live up to because I think the alternative is not pretty to think about. And uh, awesome having you on. Love talking to you, Joe. You're, you're one of my favorite guests. And we hope that uh, wherever they're playing, we can talk to you again in a couple months call it halfway through the season and, and see where things are at. And I hope that you and your family stays healthy and stays safe and uh, really appreciate doing this this morning. It's my pleasure, Jonah. Thanks so much for having me. And um, it will be a lot of fun to watch this team. I, I, I hate to be too critical early on, but I, I think I get caught up with all of the optimism and I just have to really bring people down a little bit and say, well, let's, let's watch this team first for a month or so before you get too, too excited. I'm uh, I for one really appreciate it. I, I call it realism. Uh, I don't think you're being critical. I think you're just that's why I wanted to talk to you. As I said, there's yeah. a lot of folks and I'm not picking on anyone. There is a lot of hype around this team and uh, to hear from someone that knows it and is around the team a lot to add that that layer of re real uh, realism is is good. And uh, it's always great to see you. It's good to talk to you and uh, I'll let you go watch the game because I think they're yeah. they're starting any minute. He is Joe Siddle. He is on Blue Jay Central, both pre and post games on your TVs. And we'll be back next time on Believe in the, in the Pod Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.